0: Welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast. I am Dr. Vignesh Devraj, an Ayurvedic doctor and a holistic health coach. Each week we share wisdom or interview an inspiring personality to guide you become your healthiest self. Remember, your health is your greatest asset. If you are interested in doing an one-on-one online Ayurvedic consultation to enhance the quality of your health, please check the show notes of this podcast or visit vigneshdevraj.com. In the consultation, we will discuss the steps to integrate Ayurveda in becoming your healthiest version, be it with food, Ayurvedic herbal preparations, lifestyle changes and also personalized meditations. What makes Ayurveda unique in its healing approach is its practical wisdom on the concept of Vata. Vata is responsible for prana, the life energy. Vata is responsible for the nervous system, which is the master control panel of our body and our emotions. Hence, in Ayurveda, it is mentioned, when you balance the Vata, you balance your life, and the art of healing is actually the art of balancing Vata. With over 15 years of my Ayurvedic medical practice, I have capsulated my experiential wisdom on what it takes to balance the vata for a modern lifestyle and designed a course called Balancing the Mighty Vata. This course is filled with practical inputs that can be easily integrated into your lifestyle. Please check the show notes of this podcast to get access for this content or do visit drvignesh.teachable.com A very warm welcome to all of you to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Vignesh Devraj. And this is a special episode because this is my 100th episode after I started my podcasting journey from the lockdown. And as I told you, you know, I'll be inviting a very special guest, a very someone who is very close to me through his works, through his teachings, through his books. And also now that we have his uh, courses online, and that is Dr. Robert Soboda. And uh, as many of you might have heard about him, people introduce him as uh, he's the first Westerner to come and graduate Ayurveda and also having the license to practice Ayurveda in India. But many of his close friends, who I also personally know, tell me about him as he's a pure Indian soul with an American passport. And he has lived in India for a long time. And he is very fluent in Hindi and also quite fluent with Marathi and who knows inside out of Varanasi really pure indian soul but he has an american passport that gives him the freedom to travel so dr robert sobodaji thank you so much for being part of this podcast it means a world to me to have you here
1: thank you dr j and namaskaram
0: and uh, sobodaji i would like to discuss about the book that you have written uh, karma the fate or free will and being a ayurvedic doctor you know today being an ayurvedic doctor i always say you get the leftover patients of the Western medicine. And many people come with the question, why me? Why do I have to go through this? And why do I have to go through many doctors? And finally, Ayurveda has some solutions. Or even if it's not a life-changing solution, but Ayurveda gives some solutions there. So, and then they get into path of spirituality, metaphysics, and also they end up with the concept of law of karma. Why is this happening to me? Some people come with the concept, am I a victim? Why did this happen to me? Some people accept this, maybe this is the lesson for my life. So then that concept of law of karma, it has been a question for many people. What should I understand from this? What is this karma? And how can I understand and how can I input this into my life and learn from this? So this is what I would like to discuss in this podcast, Swapodaji.
1: Thank you, ji And I, th- I think that I think that first of all, what's important to remember is Ghana Karma gatihi. The gati, the way that karma moves, the reasons why things happen, they are gahana. They're very, very deep. They're very difficult for people like you and me, who are human beings, to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in that example that um, that you, you gave just now, and this has been something that's been true really, maybe it's even slightly less true now, but it was true when I started the Ayurvedic College back in 1974, almost 50 years ago, that people came to Ayurveda only after they had exhausted all of their allopathic options. So true. And... Of course, one of the important reasons for this is that people go, and I, and not everyone, but many people go to allopathy because it offers a quick fix. It offers immediate results. Of course, as is often the case with many things, fast results may not last very long. Mm-hmm. Fast does not always last. And so, it is part of the it it, it. it we have to think that for those patients, it is part of their karma to have to undergo many different kinds of interventions before they come to Ayurveda that will encourage their entire organism to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of that reality is that m- many people simply do not want to acknowledge what is reality and the reality is if you do not eat properly, if you do not exercise properly, if you do not get good sleep, you will not be healthy. And the allopathy offers the illusion that you can ignore everything and take some pills or some injections or get an operation And that will solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. And what it will do is solve some problems and maybe it will will, uh, uh, allow you to ignore other problems. But if you do not do the things that are essential for keeping you healthy, at some point, nothing is going to work on you except going back and trying to become healthier again, which is what Ayurveda is all about. Now, I think we also have to consider the the the, 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 the even bigger picture um, of why it is that Ayurveda, and not just Ayurveda. In India, there are many medical systems. But if you think of Ayurveda and Unani and homeopathy and naturopathy and Siddha, people only go to them when they... Uh, can't do anything else when they when exactly. they have failed with allopathy. So what must be the karmas of these other medical systems <clears throat> that they only get the, the patients who have become very chronic and who will take a long time to be cured? So there must be some other some in in and not just simple karma you know one person's karma is not simple but compared to the karma of an entire country or a medical system or a planet then that one individual that karma is very simple compared to this much more complex sort of karma hmm. and i don't think we can i don't think there's any way to know why this is the case But I think it's worthwhile noting that it is the case that if you elect to become a vaidya, an Ayurvedic doctor, you should understand that people are going to look at you in a particular way. And that way may will differ from person to person. Some people will say, huh, he did not get enough marks to go into the allopathic college. That's why he went to the Ayurvedic college. Mm-hmm. And when I went to, when I attended the Pilak Ayurved Mahavid Dalai in Pune, uh, almost 50 years ago, that was the main reason that 90% of the students went there. They Mm -hmm. wanted to go to allopathy, but they didn't get enough marks in the exam, and so they came to Ayurveda instead. So many people will think that. Many people will think that, huh, this person is some sort of very (coughs) traditional, orthodox Hindu who is is, uh, uh, only going to expect me to be very orthodox in a particular way, even though, Nowhere in Ayurveda does it say that you have to be Hindu or that you cannot be Sikh, Christian, Buddhist, Jain, or any, or an an a a Gnostic, even Mm -hmm. an atheist. It the Ayurveda is not at all about sectarianism, but some people will think that way, and so. The, the karmas are working in all directions at all times and understanding why certain things work is, is a very difficult thing to do because the system itself is built into the fabric of the universe. Hmm. Even modern physics has, has acknowledged that there is, there is a fabric of space time And each one of us is interacting with that fabric in in very subtle ways. Hmm. And we refer to that as Akasha. So that first manifestation of space time in the Panchabautic Vishwa that you and I are living in 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 the universe made of the five Mahabhutas, the five elements, that first element is Akasha without space-time, we would not have anything else. Mm-hmm. And karma is being, the traces of karma are being stored in the fabric <clears throat> of space-time. So they are available at all times in all places. Some places, those, uh, those traces are stronger. Some places they are weaker. And that's why at certain places and times, there will be a greater influence of your karmas or even someone else's karmas on you. And your someone else's karmas can have a strong influence on you if you have a particular kind of rana with hmm. them. Rana literally means the bondage, anubandana of and Mm. means debt, in this case, it means karmic debt. I took something from you in the past, you took something from me. Now there is a, a situation where there has to be, I have to return something to you and you have to return something to me. I think many times people think that karma is very linear it's, oh, I owe this to this person, I will pay this person and that will be the end of everything. Not necessarily, because there may have been many of these exchanges that now have to be worked out. So Bandana is what is created by performing actions and all actions in thought, in word, in deed, these are all karmas.
2: Hmm.
1: And This is why it has been said, and I'm told that Gandhiji said this, I actually don't know that, but this is what I've been told, that once God created the law of karma, he was able to retire. (laughs) And why this is the case is that the law of karma is a universal law, it's Newton's third law of physics, wherever there is an action, there will be a reaction. And it happens in the fabric of space-time and those actions are stored in the fabric of space-time. And then when the time for the reaction occurs, when the karma pula the fruits of karma have matured, then automatically that reaction will occur. It doesn't require some some, some supreme being to be directing everything. It is happening mm-hmm. automatically. It is happening everywhere at all times in, sort of a, in a very sort of um, uh, uh, kind of like a hologram where everything is the same in all places, everywhere. So understanding how, how this happens is something that may be very difficult or impossible for you and me to do. What we can try to understand is the karmic patterns in our lives and how we can best work with those patterns. But the problem is that if you try, if you say to yourself, I want to understand why this karma happened, uh, you're asking for quite a lot. In fact, you're asking for more than the devatas themselves have available to them. So mm-hmm. you and I are not devatas. And if the devatas have problems, then you and I are going to have problems also. There's a very fine story that my mentor Vimalanandaji liked to tell about Indra, Bhagawan Indra, the king of the devatas, and his parrot, his Shuka, his Tota. And Indra had a long and happy experience of life with the parrot until the point one day that he had a thought and that thought was, I, I have enjoyed this, my association with this parrot for so long. What a great parrot, how fortunate I am. But at some point the parrot is going to die because even we devatas, we are supposed to be a mutter, but nothing is a really. Mm-hmm. Even the, at the time of the Mahapralaya, everything dissolves. So the parrot is also going to disappear. When will that happen? Now, thought, word and deed. So this first thought that Indra had, this was a karma. And this set in motion a set of karmas that was going to end in the death of the parrot. But Indra did not know this because Mm -hmm. he was being influenced by the karmas of the parrot. So the karmas of the parrot, because it was time for the parrot to die, the karmas of the parrot started to influence Indra. And Indra thought, oh my goodness, the parrot is going to die. When is that going to happen? I don't know. Even though I am Indra, I do not know this. It's very unfortunate that I have to admit that I am not sort of omniscient, but I am not. So I Mm -hmm. must go to someone to try to find out. So why don't I go to Lord Brahma, who is after all, he has created everything. He must know how long these things will last. So we went to Brahma and he said, "Bhagawan, please explain. And Brahma said, Indra, the situation is that I just create things. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else about how long they live or when they're gonna die. So I think that you need to ask Vishnu. But this is a very interesting question. So maybe I will come with you and we will ask Vishnu because he is the preserver. When he stops preserving, that's the end of the, of the, of the, of the, of the life, of that jiva. So they go to Bhagawan Vishnu. And Bhagawan Vishnu, he is lying down on Shesha Naga. He is Shesha Shai. And he is enjoying calm. Lakshmi is massaging his legs. And they say, Bhagawan Vishnu, please explain to us this situation. When is the parrot, this beautiful parrot, look, here's the parrot, going to die. When is it going to die? And Vishnu said, well, Yes, I am in charge of preserving everything, but the situation is that even I don't really know when or how they're gonna die. I'm just, when, when, when it's time for them to uh, die, I, it, it becomes obvious I stop preserving them and then something happens to them. But I really don't know when that's going to happen. So I think what we need to do is go and visit Lord Shiva. He is the God of death. He is ma uh, is he is he is in charge of he sends out Yama, his his Swarupa, in order to kill people. Shiva will certainly know. And now I'm interested too, so let's all go and ask Mahesha. So Indra and the Parrot and Vishnu and Brahma, they all go to Bhagavan Shankara, who is sitting quietly in Samadhi. And they come and there's enough of their attention on him that he comes down out of samadhi and he says om and they all say here's the situation when is the parrot going to die and shiva said you know honestly i don't do anything on my own i just follow what vidata has written vidata Mm. is a fate destiny personified all I do is what Vidata sends me a message, uh, time to kill this person. So he go, I go over and kill that person. That's all that I do. But now I'm curious about the situation. So let's go ask Vidata. So now the parrot and Indra and Brahma and Vishnu and Mahesh, all of them have gone to visit Vidata, fate personified. And so they go to visit fate and they all say, oh, Vidata Bhagawan, you are in charge of deciding who lives and who dies. And when that happens, please tell us when this beautiful parrot is going to pass on. And Vidata said, thank you for asking, take a look at the parrot. And the parrot was lying on its back with its two little legs up in the air. It was dead, Marge, end of parrot. And they all were shocked and astonished and they turned back to Vidata, and fate said it was written in the parrot's destiny that when the parrot along with Indra, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva all came in front of Vidata, then the parrot would die. So if you had not, if Indra had not thought of this question, and not met all of you, and you had not all come, the parrot would still be alive. However, the parrot is now dead. So that's, that's the end true. of that.
0: <laughs> that's such a...
1: That was the end of that.
0: <laughs> uh, that's such a powerful story. I mean, uh, when we read that, two questions come to our mind. Like, is everything already predestined? Or to what extent do I have my... Free will. I mean, this is the question that we always go and like, in uh, in, in that book, Fate of Free Will, you have written, there are some parts, uh, people believe that if you are sick, you should not go to a doctor because you're going through the sickness because it's your karma. But then Ayurveda people came and told, maybe finding that doctor was also part of your karma. So you came for your treatment. So this was again, another way of looking at it. Like, it's not that you have are suffering because of your karma, but finding a healer and going through that healing is also a part of your destiny. I mean, so when we look at these two, where do we understand what is it my free will and where is fate? Like, you know, there is a statement, uh, which I love, uh, but it's by a person called Rinald Niebuhr. Uh, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So Dr. Sobodaji, I think your book was about how to know the difference, but can you elaborate, how can we be more sensitive to understand the difference? What is it that I can change and what is it that I cannot? What is the karma that I have to go through and what is the karma that this I can relinquish and also to use my free will there?
1: And this is an excellent question. And of course it is a question (coughs) that people have been asking for thousands of years and Mm -hmm. there is still no one answer and there is still no one answer for that very reason that was explained in that story about Indra and his parrot. Exactly. If it is my destiny to experience something, then no matter how many times I try to figure out what to do, all of the directions will point me towards doing what I have to do. Hmm. So, uh, there was a famous story about uh, the uh, Indian film actor Dilip Kumar. I forget his real name, let's just call him Dilip Kumar. He had a Jyotishi, an astrologer,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and that Jyotishi would advise him, please take this project, ignore this project, and by following this, this advice of this astrologer, Dilip Kumar, well, Dilip Kumar was a great actor. He was in many classic films.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: became very famous. He accumulated a good amount of cash. And then he said to himself, I want to, it's, it's, it's great that I've done all of this acting but I want to be a producer myself. And he came up with a project and he took it to the astrologer and the astrologer said, absolutely, it's going to be a big hit. And Dilip Kumar made the project and it was a total flop, all of the money gone. And and then he, Dilip Kumar went back to the astrologer and the astrologer looked again. And then he said, oh my God, I, <laughs> I made a mistake that even even an amateur astrologer would would not make. But of course, then it was too late. And why did he make that mistake? He made that mistake, even though he had been looking at this chart for the past many, many years, he made this mistake because it was destined that Dilip Kumarji should lose all of his money at this moment. Hmm. So sometimes, if the karmas are completely fixed, which is why you will have a, uh, w- which is why why people will think that karma is fated. Sometimes, when the karmas are completely fixed, no matter what you try to do, no matter where you try to go, no matter how you try to think about it, you will be forced to think in a particular way so that you will get to. That particular result, and and when it's really fated that way, then there there's there is no escape. There's a, mm-hmm. a Sufi story about a um, a man uh, living in Baghdad in Iraq, and this is hundreds of years ago, and that Sufi. The, the, this man was a very uh, uh, he was a good sadak uh, uh, and he was he was aligning himself with reality and one day he was in the bazaar in Baghdad and he saw death and he thought oh my God uh, I'm 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 seeing death and uh, this can't be good maybe death is looking for me. I had better leave Baghdad, I will go to Samara and that will be far away from Baghdad, he will never be able to find me over there. And back in Baghdad, death is standing there and he is thinking to himself, how strange that I should see this man today in the bazaar in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him in Samara tomorrow. So had that man not seen death, had that man not thought about death, he would have stayed in Baghdad. He would not have gone to Samara. He would not have died. But the very fact that it was time for him to die, he saw death. He thought, I'm going to save myself by going to Samara. And all he did was put himself in the place where death could take him away. Mm. So, This degree of karma is what we call in Jyotisha Drda Karma. Karma. Drda. And Drda is a difficult word to say because it is a difficult concept. Drda means fixed, solid, immobile, can't be moved. Dhruva was a very had Drda Vishwasa in Lord Vishnu. That's why he is Dhruva, he is also, he is stable. And what you want to look at when you're using Jyotisha to look at someone's life, you want to see the areas where there is Dhruva karma because those are the areas that you can make predictions on. Mm You, it's very hard to predict about karma that is not fixed because people are performing karmas all the time. So the opposite of Drda karma is a karma. A in Sanskrit at the beginning of word means not. So not fixed, a dhrdha. and that means that the karmas in this area of your life are not completely fated. You will be able to perform some karmas now in this lifetime and make changes in <clears throat> your destiny in this area of your lifetime. And so the there, there is this concept that there is a difference between what is really fixed and fated and what is not really fixed and fated. Uh, one of the problems that I've seen talking to people about Jyotisha over these past, um, I mean, I've been studying Jyotisha since 45 years now, um, is in India, most people believe that everything is fated, that, at, that everything is written down in the horoscope and you can see it and it's obvious and your life is going to be like that whether you want it to be or not. And in <clears throat> many other places, like many so-called new age people, especially in the West, but all over the world nowadays, many of these new age people, they believe that nothing is fated, that you can do anything you want to at any time because the universe is full of so many possibilities, that everything is great. And both of these extremes are not accurate. The real accurate reality is that some things are fated, And some things are not fated. Hmm. Now the question comes how do we figure out which things are fated and which things are not fated? And that is not so easy. (laughs) Um, In Jyotisha, what we do is we look for something that we call in English confluence. And Confluence means if I look at a situation using several different principles, because in Jyotish there are many principles, uh, many, different, uh, many different ways of looking at a chart. And the rule is if, if every time or most of the different uh, principles that you apply to a chart, If they give you the same result, then that probably means that that result is fated. Because you're getting the same message from many different places. And and usually that's accurate. But let's say, okay, suppose you do not know Jyotisha, then what do you do? Then you may have to use the method of trial and error. You decide that, let's say for example, you want to, uh, you want to learn a new language mm-hmm. and you start studying that language. And if you get good results easily and then you continue studying it for many months and years, then you and you speak it regularly then there's a good chance you will learn that language mm-hmm. but sometimes it will happen that even if you study that language for many years and you have many people trying to teach you and you and, and you are working very sincerely and very hard and you still cannot pick up that language that means either that it is not in your destiny to learn that language, or it is not in your destiny to learn any other language. Hmm. So the method of trial and error is the method that you may have to use unless you have something like jyotisha to assist you, or maybe you have some guru, and then you can employ what we call Aptavakya. You can get advice from someone who is very knowledgeable about karma, and they can tell you that this is in your destiny or not in your destiny, or maybe you will get a dream or maybe something, there will be some other indication. But if there is no indication that you can get, then you simply have to try things out and you have to pay close attention because otherwise, you see people trying to do the same thing over and over. They want to learn to sing and they get a Sangeet Guru and they do riyaz, they do a Bhyasa for a long time and they still don't sound any good. And they conclude that the Sangeet Guru is useless and they get another Sangeet Guru and then they get another one, but the result is the same. Mm-hmm. If you keep getting the same result again and again, there are only two possibilities. One is that at that time in your life, that is the only result you can get. And maybe in the future, you will get a different result according to your dashas, which planet is influencing you at which time. Or the possibility is that your life long, that is going to be the same result. and. Mm Sometimes it's difficult to know, but, but it, it, sometimes it's almost always difficult to know, but it's, it's valuable to always, and, and this is something very similar to, something very similar to what we describe in, in Ayurveda as upashaya, chikitsa, and, and what that means to me is that suppose you have a condition and you're not sure exactly which line of treatment is going to work the best. So you try this line of treatment first and if it gives you a good result then you continue with it because whatever works is the medicine. And you continue with it until it stops giving results or it starts giving the opposite result and then you stop. Hmm. So upashaya and uh, if it If something works, you continue with it. If it does not work, you stop doing it and then you start doing something else. This requires you to be very alert, to pay close attention to the results of everything that you do. Now, some results will not come immediately. Some results will take a longer time to come your way. So you have to be, and it's always helpful to have other people, an astrologer, a, a saintly type, sadhu, guru figure, um, a, an, any kind of elder person who has more experience than you, especially, an expert in that area of 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 knowledge that you're interested in getting advice from good people can assist you to understand whether something is actually going to whether you're going to be able to be successful or maybe not so
0: so what does he i mean this, you know, some people listening to this might feel relieved. Some people listening to this might feel, oh my God, so I am fated to go through this. So, in such situations, you know, we usually tell them once you know this is how the fate is going to be, let's not waste our time fighting it. Let us minimize the casualties that could happen from there. Like, I think in your book, uh, there is a part when you mention, let's imagine that, you know, there is a fate that a stone is going to hit your head maybe we do have the possibility to reduce the size of the stone or a big stone can hit you and you could be really brain injured or we, do have, we could do some certain steps to make sure the size of the stone could be reduced. And that is one aspect in your book that I have read. So even though some fate can be possible, but you also mentioned that we do have the possibility to minimize the, whatever the risk. And also there is a statement that you mentioned of Voltaire. As Voltaire used to say, you may not be able to alter the cards dealt to you in the game of life, but you certainly have control over how you play them. Even Even if your free will does not extend to changing your fate, it may extend to being able to manipulate your life in such a way that you minimize one area of fate that is not so desirable and maximize one area of fate that is so I think this is where the whole idea is. I mean, where we can interpret all the, uh, the sciences of Jyotish, the sciences of our gurus, and also this Aptavachna. I think that's where we need to invest our learning more.
1: The, the, this, this is why it is so important. And this is why it has been emphasized again and again by expert people that during Kali Yuga the most important thing to do is to repeat the name of God
2: Hmm.
1: because that itself is a karma Hmm. and the more you repeat that name the more you align with that reality Hmm. and as you align more with that reality then automatically the reality of Bhagavan or God or whatever whatever name you want to apply, that reality will organize your life in the best possible way automatically. Hmm. There is a famous book on uh, uh, Advaita Vedanta called the Tripura Rahasya.
2: Hmm.
1: And in the Tripura Rahasya, there is one passage that says very clearly, what are you waiting for? Do you not see all around you that the, 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 the fire of destruction is burning down everything that has been created? Do not waste any time. Immediately go to the feet of Lord Shiva and Mm -hmm. surrender to him completely. And he will organize things in your life as best as possible. So yes, it makes a tremendous difference. And and here is is where we have to draw the distinction between the the fact of the karma and the intensity of the karma. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So it's sort of like the difference between Shiva and Shakti. The Shakti provides intensity. Shiva provides orientation, direction, and it provides the the nature of what is going to happen. Shakti provides the intensity. So if it is a rock that is going to fall on your head, uh, Vimalananda, my mentor used to say, if the rock, is destined to fall on your head, it is going to fall on your head unless someone takes that karma away from you and takes on that karma for himself or herself. Hmm. Otherwise, the rock is going to fall on your head, but it will make a tremendous difference if the rock weighs one gram, or it weighs one kilo, or it weighs one ton. If it weighs one gram, it will bounce off your head. You may not even feel it. If it weighs one ton, probably you will not feel it either because it will fall on your head and smash you completely and probably immediately. If it weighs one kilo, then that could cause you a lot of damage unless you have a very strong helmet on. And that helmet, it will hit the helmet, it will dent it, it may bruise your head, but at least it will not kill you. Mm. And that helmet is what we call in both Ayurveda and Jyotish, upaya, upaya. And aya in Sanskrit, of course, means income, mm. aya and vyaya. But upaya means a secondary benefit, so it's secondary because it's not solving the problem completely. It's secondary because at least it is mitigating the problem. It is reducing mm-hmm. the problem. And this is the third area of karmic intensity. It's called um, uh, drdha drda karma, drdha plus drdha. So that karma is fixed but it's not yet completely fixed.
2: Hmm.
1: Let's say you painted the room, you painted your room and then you realized, oh my God, this is the wrong color. I don't know what I was thinking. It must've been in, in my karma. What do I do now? But if the paint has not dried yet, you can still get some paint thinner and you can reduce the amount of paint on the wall and then you can put some darker paint on top of it And it will not be as good as if you had done the original paint job in the right color, but Mm -hmm. at least it will have salvaged the situation. Mm -hmm. So that applies here also. Sometimes you will see in a person's chart that the karmas look very drudha, but that there is the possibility that they could be made less Drda. So that situation is and in that case, upaya is very important. And for an upaya, you have to do some serious penance for a serious amount of time. Hmm. That's another thing that people seem to um, people seem to forget that when you want to actually change your karmas that's not going to be as simple as simply uh, uh, repeating a mantra without focusing on it for a few minutes a day. It's going to require you to do a serious anushtan or purascharana or to do some serious fasting or to do some serious penance in order to burn through a lot of that karmic intensity that is interfering with your ability to move forward. Hmm. One thing that Vimalananda did remind, want to everyone to remember is that life is not a sprint race. It's not a 100 meter race. It's an ultra marathon. Hmm. It's, a, it's a 100 kilometer race. It's a 200 kilometer race. You have to move slowly forward. He also used to say that, remember, if you were walking on the road, the road is never going to get tired. You were the person who's going to get tired. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to transform your reality, you don't want to get all excited and do some very intense things for two months and then go back to your previous pattern of living. You want to start doing the right things for yourself and keep increasing your momentum until you get to a place where you feel like you were doing as much as you can. And then you keep doing that much and you just keep doing that much indefinitely because if it is giving you good results, you should not stop Hmm. until it stops giving you good results. But with the name of God, once you start getting good results, you will continue getting good results. Now, in that regard, Vimalananda also said, remember that when you start repeating the name of God, the first thing that's going to happen is you will become more miserable. Hmm. And that's because God is going to start causing these not so good karmas to manifest so you can get rid of them so that you can be free of all of this heavy weight of karma that is on you. Because if you did not have a heavy weight of karma, you could not possibly have been born here in loka. Hmm. You have to have very serious karmas to be born in Mrityuloka which I mean, is where we are right now.
0: I think that analogy that when you start, uh, you know, doing the sadhana or the penance or calling the name of the God to burn through the karmas, it gets worse before it gets better. I mean, when people come for panchakarma karma treatment, uh, I tell them when they undergo the treatment, it gets even worse. They feel more tired. And I give the analogy, when you're washing the plate, it's going to look really messy till it becomes clean at one yes. time.
1: Yes that is an excellent analogy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that yes, you enjoyed the food and it was very (laughs) tasty. And then you look at the, all of the plates and all of the pots and all of the pans and they're all stacked up there and that's not so attractive but the fact is that you have to go through all of that and then you will be able to cook another meal and have another enjoyment and you may as well start doing it. And if, um, if you can't do it all at one time, then do this much now and then, then do this much and then do some more and then it will be finished.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, and this applies also to people who are getting Panchakarma done because hmm. so many people, they want to have all of their problems dealt with at, the, at one time. And if you if if you if you try to get all of your problems dealt with, then there is a good chance that you will create more problems for yourself. Mm. I I remember meeting someone. This was a number of years ago, um, and th- this person had been it. W- it was an uh, a, a, an American had been studying with um, a well-known at that time, uh, Vaidya in India. And they had been doing very intense Panchakarma on themselves. And, and as part of this process, suddenly there came up from the, uh, in, uh, a manifestation in this person's body of a skin problem that they had had when they were very small, totally forgotten about, and the skin problem had come up, but at a moment when the body was too weak to go through the whole process of letting, of having it come up and then throwing it out. So it had come up, but it had not been thrown out. And then it had got stuck in a sort of three shanku kind of, of a star. Mm-hmm. And it had already been a couple of years that the problem had been stuck there because that individual was trying to bring everything out at one time, instead of simply allowing the body to let go of what it wanted to let go of at that moment, and then rebuilding before Mm -hmm. trying to purify again. This is one thing that unfortunately I see happen, um, a in many people, they focus on purification, on shodhana, but they forget about the shamana. They forget that in Ayurveda, if you spend X number of days in shodhana, you have to spend at least X number of days performing Mm -hmm. shamana so that there will be, first there has been kshaya, there's been reduction of the body, And now there has to be vritti. Now you have to rebuild the body so that it will be well enough integrated so that you can purify it again.
0: I think there is a beautiful statement that rightly gives this analogy. There are no incurable diseases, only incurable people. I think people want it super fast.
1: Yes, I believe Mm -hmm. that that is an Mm -hmm. excellent, an excellent saying, Mm -hmm that the disease, every disease can be cured, whether it can, whether that disease in you can Mm -hmm. be cured. That's a different question. But any disease that has arisen can be eliminated, but we may not be able to eliminate it from you Mm. because how you and the disease interact is a different thing than just the disease on its own.
0: And So what are just a few more questions. I mean, in your book, uh, Karma, Fate or Free Will, um, you mentioned that sometimes it could take up to seven generations to let go of the karmic inheritance of our ancestors. Like, you know, we could have 50% from the mother, father and 25% from grandparents and things like that. So sometimes people ask, I don't know why I have these cravings. I don't know why I have these patterns. Sometimes it could be something from the karmic inheritance from my ancestors. I mean, logically, we could understand. Like sometimes I've seen parents come and say that I could not achieve this. So I want my son to achieve this for me. Right. And if they're dead, you know, we could continue that. So same way, we could also inherit that certain patterns that we did not choose it consciously in our life, but it could be it's already predestined. So when we know that there is also a statement in Ashtanga Hridaya. It says that Balihi Devam Vartate. No matter what kind of problem it is, if you do the right penance, right sadhana, you can able, you will be able to get out of it. And today we see some people are born obese, some people are born with metabolic disorders, which are reversible. But when they go through that right approach with a given period of time, suddenly they say that I was able to get through that. I was able and looking at me, it would look like I was living past life and I'm a new person. So definitely a shift in that will be possible. But in the concepts of Jyotish, in the concepts of this spirituality, what will be the mindset that we need to inculcate? to First to understand this is something that I have inherited through my past karmas or because I'm born to this lineage. But at the same time, I can change that. What will be the way to get through that karmic, uh, sometimes the karma can be good. Sometimes I could inherit a lot of money from my grandparents. Sometimes my grandparents had a lot of debt, so I could also inherit that. But right. both are important for me. But sometimes we, it's not so pleasant to inherit the debt, but it's very pleasant yeah. to inherit a lot of money. But how do we take this if it is a debt? And how do we enjoy this to understand?
1: Um, it, in my opinion, the first thing that everybody should do is to admit the reality of whatever situation they are in. Hmm. Uh, Vimalananda always liked to say that it is always good to live with reality because if you don't, reality will come to live with you. And that's what happens to many people. Here's the reality, there are these debts that I have from my grandparents. I would like to avoid it, but those debts have now come down to me. Hmm. Well, I can, it is, it is now up to me to decide how to deal with that situation. The worst way to deal with the situation is to present pretend that it does not exist. Hmm. That is the completely Thomasy, that is the approach of Thomas. Oh, those! I'm ignoring those. That has no reality. Meanwhile, the interest is increasing and the court believes it has reality. The government believes, the bank, they all agree that it has some reality. But you say, no, everything is fine until one day you are arrested because you have been ignoring all of the all of the messages that reality has been trying to send to you. Then there's the approach of Regis. Oh, I must deal with this immediately. I will work very hard. I will pay it off as quickly as I can. But then you you work so hard that you damage your health. You damage your relationship with your family because you ignore them. You, it, it, and by you you, decide that what you're going to do is solve this problem immediately, but by solving that problem, you create three other problems. That's more the excess regis approach to things. Be overactive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas the approach of sat twa sat meaning true or real, is to examine the situation carefully. Here are these debts. I may not like them, but I'm responsible for them. But I can't pay them off all at once. It might take me 20 years to pay them off. But at least if I pay them off this much a year, over 20 years, after 20 years, it will get paid off. Meanwhile, I can take care of my other responsibilities to myself, to my family, to whatever my job is. I can take care of everything without making anything uh, with, without neglecting anything, it will require focus, it will require determination, and it will require the ability to keep moving forward even when things are challenging. Now, today, of course, people have a much shorter attention span. Mm. They And part of the reason, of course, is because of screens like mm-hmm. this they have a shorter attention span because they always want to know what n- new navinam navinam kshane kshane everything every moment there is some something new is happening and people are so focused on what is happening on the outside that they forget that what is most important is understanding who you are, what your obligations are and how you can move forward properly. One of the greatnesses of India is that they have not focused so much on how great life is. They focus more on what are your runas? What are the, what, who do you owe in life? Hmm. And you have a matru runa, you have a debt to your mother. You because she gave you life. You have a Pitru Runa. You have a debt to your father because you have his Gotra. You have his lineage. Uh, and you were in his family. You have a debt to your guru. You have a debt to the vidya that you learn. You so there are many debts that you have. And and those are those are even. Even the to, many of them are separate from the personal karmic debts that you have. These are generic debts that everyone who is born has. You have a, a debt to the the prithvi, the land where you were born, and to the language that you speak, and to the culture that you're brought up in, and to the devatas that you're to your Ishta devata. So a, being aware of all of these karmic obligations that we have and understanding that if we pay back a little bit of each obligation every day, then that is going to, that is going to every day benefit us as we move forward through life. As Charakacharya says, in his chapter on Rasayana, in his Chikitsasthana, that uh, yes, there's all these substances that we can use for Rasayana, but a person who speaks the truth and uh, ob- observes the various restrictions that are necessary for life and then and and takes in and displays all of those good gunas, that we require in order to live properly, that person just by his or her achata by behavior is rejuvenated every day. That's the mm-hmm. achara rasayana. So each one of us that if we are paying attention to what we know that we owe to the debts that we know that we have, and we pay back each one a little bit every day, then over a period of many years, there will be a tremendous transformation in the karmic perspective of where we started and where we have got as a result of being focused and disciplined and diligent. So, I, th- I think that all too often what happens is people decide that they must try to change something in themselves that doesn't seem to be changeable. Hmm. But if it is not changeable and you have tried to change it, tried to, if you make a sincere attempt to change it, let's say three times, You make a sincere attempt over a period of time to change it, no result. You say, okay, maybe it's not the right time. You wait a year or two, you do it again, no result. You say, okay, maybe it's not the right time. You wait again, you try it again, you don't get any result. You have to start to think that maybe you're not going to get a result in that area of your lifetime. And there probably are other areas in your life that you can put in that same amount of effort and get a much better result. So why not put in extra effort over in those areas where you are getting results and keep getting results until you're not getting so many results anymore. And then move on to something new. But the, the, um I forget what that saying is, but it's sort of like the definition of insanity. Insanity, thank yeah, you. Doing
0: the same thing and expecting different
1: results. And expecting a different result. <laughs> yes. So we have to think of that as being insanity.
0: Mm-hmm. I can completely relate to that. I think if I have to sum up or rephrase what you mentioned, it's like the concept of sattva is to understand where to apply rajas and where to apply tamas. Sometimes you need yeah. to act on it. Sometimes you just need to be passive about it. Just let it go. Just don't bother exactly. it.
1: Rajas and tamas are are very excellent qualities. And without them, the world would not exist. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I still run across some people who claim to practice yoga who <laughs> believe that they must exist only in sattva. And avoid Rajas and Thomas completely. Mm. But but we can't avoid Rajas and Thomas when we're living in the world. What we can do is use the right amount of Rajas and Thomas at the right moment mm. in order to achieve the goals that we want to achieve.
0: I think the idea of calling the name of God or sadhana is to appreciate the sattva quality, which is sattva is the clarity to know where to use rajas and where to use tamas. I think that clarity is the foundation of this knowledge.
1: Definitely. And that's why you're repeating the name of God, because Mm. at that moment, when you repeat that name, at that moment, maybe not afterwards, at that moment that you have that much extra clarity in your awareness And if you keep doing that every day, then that is going to build up a pattern of having that sort of clarity in your awareness. And then when you try to examine things, then that clarity, there will be some extra clarity. And maybe just at that moment when you need this much extra clarity, it will be there because you have been repeating that name and gaining that little bit of extra clarity day after day after day.
0: Hmm. And so, you mentioned about uh, your mentor, Swami Vimalananda. Um, What is his definition of enlightenment? And would you say that enlightenment means that I'm giving up my karmic baggage? Or how would you define that in your...
1: I understand the way the way he defined it is he 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 said it has nothing to do with a, being able to see a bright spiritual light because mm-hmm. there you know you can do various sadhanas and you will see bright lights and that will be but that may not have transformed your karmas all you mm-hmm. have done that way is performing a karma that is giving you a result but in this case Performing um, uh, or, or, or moving towards enlightenment, he said, meant making your karmic load lighter. Hmm. Working off the karmas that are weighting you down, that are keeping you in this plane of existence in Mrityu loka, hmm. the more you, the more you work through those karmas. The less there is that heaviness, and the more your awareness can move up into the astral regions. Hmm. So for him, enlightenment meant, uh, and inevitably, as as your as your pre-existing karmas are worked off, then there it becomes increased clarity in your awareness. Hmm. And the more clarity that you have, the better you are able to know, uh, to evaluate a situation and to know the best way to act in that situation. As Lord Krishna said very clearly in chapter two of the Bhagavad Gita, you know, he has several definitions of, of karma, in that, uh, in that book. And the one in chapter two is, uh, I'm sorry, Karma. Uh, he has various definitions of yoga. Mm. So in chapter two, that definition is yoga karmasu kaushalam. And the, that means yoga is adeptness in action. Performing actions, because everyone performs actions, but performing them very carefully so that you get the maximum good result and the minimum side effects. Hmm. I, I always like that word, koshala, because it comes from the word kusha. And kusha, of course, is that sacred grass that you make a kusha asana for when you're doing Pithru karma, you use kusha. And kusha, when it is fresh, is very sharp. It's easy. I've cut myself on it before. It's easy to cut yourself with it. So, a person who is kaushala is someone who can use this kusha grass, who can manipulate it without getting cut. So, yoga means to work with your personal karmas in such a way that they don't cut you. But instead, you create something beneficial out of them, mm. and that's, of course, also why uh, Lord Krishna in the Gita says as well, "Karmanye va te ma paleshu kadachana." Do the karma that you are adhikara for. That is the karma that you are fit to do and the karma that you were responsible to do. You have to perform karma. You're in the world. Every breath is a karma. Every thought is a karma. Every movement is a karma. Just perform the karma and dedicate the pula, dedicate the fruit of the karma, whatever result may come, dedicate it to me, meaning Krishna, and I we'll take care of everything. Hmm. So this is the 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 reason why we have karmas is because we identify an action as belonging to us. Hmm. I am going to go purchase a banana. There is a karma involved. Purchasing the banana is not the karma identifying myself as the purchaser of the banana is the karma. So if you say Bhagavan Krishna has provided me with money, Bhagavan Krishna has provided me with hunger, Bhagavan Krishna has provided me with that nice lady over there who is selling bananas, and I'm going to bring these all together, and I'm going to therefore have a banana, which I'm going to eat as I offer to Bhagavan Krishna and to the Agni that is in my stomach. I am Vaiswanara. And then the karmas are much less because you are not always identifying yourself as I am making money, I am buying things, I am very clever. All that I-ness is creating more and more karma that is keeping you stuck where you are.
0: The word kush also in Hindi means happiness. So it, it means that you're using it for the yogas to karma kaushalam. Uh, I think it's a way of getting happiness because you're being detached from the negative effects.
1: Yes. And that's tr- that, That's the effect of true happiness also. It's mm-hmm. it's people, it, you know, in the, I think it's in the Srimad Bhagavata. They talk about the three different uh, varieties of sukha.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have the s- sukha that ha- is mostly associated with sattva. Mm-hmm. And that sukha is first there is dukkha and then there is sukha. First you pay off your karmic debt and then you enjoy because now the debt is paid off. You don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. The approach that is influenced by regis is first you enjoy and you keep enjoying and you don't worry about the karmic debt until it becomes so large that you cannot avoid it anymore. Hmm. But at least you had some pleasure. But in the case of tamas, there is dukkha at the beginning, dukkha in the middle, dukkha at the end, because what you think is pleasure is actually pain. You are taking drugs, you are, you are uh, um, harassing people, you are making money and never giving any of it away. You are taking money from people who are poor. All of these are, you think you are enjoying, but all that you're doing, you're not even really enjoying. You're enjoying hmm. in a very peculiar, perverted, abnormal kind of way. And you're creating worse karmas for yourself, that not just karmic debts, but very negative karmic debts that are going to come in your direction.
0: I think the idea is to be as conscious as possible, and that consciousness is the key here.
1: Yes, and to remember that the one of the things we have to be most conscious of is the conscious consciousness of what we desire and whether those desires are appropriate for us and 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 whether we can simply say, Bhagavan, uh, this is what I desire. I don't know if it is good for me or not. Please, you organize things in my life in such a way that if it is good for me, that I will have it. If it is not good for me, please don't let me have it. This, this is a perfectly uh, reasonable and equitable way to, to communicate with nature or providence or a Bhagavan or whatever you want to call it, the universe. Mm. Because what you're saying is this is my desire, but that's what I want is what is the right thing for me.
2: Mm, mm.
1: what most people think of is this is my desire and because it's my desire it must be the right thing for me otherwise why would i have the desire forgetting that you have the desire because of your previous karmas otherwise mm. you would not have that desire and unless you are sure that those karmas are, were all good karmas then you cannot be sure then that desire is going to be a good desire for you or not hmm so this is why, you know, there are there, there is the famous yogi, uh, uh, not yogi called Goraknath, mm-hmm. And there are many sayings of Goraknath in the world, and one of those sayings is Bina Mange Sumile Dud, Mange Sumile Pani, Kenshe Selechhun, Ye Gorakvani. So what Gorak says is that if you don't desire anything, nature will feed you milk because the milk comes from the mother for the baby. The baby is not doing anything to demand uh, to, or to tell the mother that she has to provide him milk or she's gonna take her to court and see that that milk is delivered whether she wants it to, to be delivered or not. No, the baby is simply helpless and the mother is delivering milk out of the goodness of her heart. And if you rel- remain calm, everything that you need and you trust the universe, everything you need will come to you. Hmm. If you ask for something from the universe, the universe will not give you milk, but it will give you water. Hmm. I mean, nowadays things are different, but in the past in India, no, it, it was the, the, an unwritten law that if you asked anyone for water, they had to give it to you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, most of the time, even today, if you ask someone for water, they will say, of course, I will give you water because because that same person, if they were in a place where they were very thirsty, they would want someone else to give them water.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But that's what the universe, that's what the when you ask for something from the universe, milk is nourishing. Water is not nourishing, but definitely will keep you from dying of thirst. That's, mm-hmm. b- better than, uh, that's better than dying of thirst, but it's not as good as milk. And the third thing is, <laughs> if you grab for something, you don't even say, I would like this, please give it to me. You say, I am taking this. When you take something, then what you get is blood Mm. because when you take uh, when you take blood, then you're going to have to pay back in blood. It's a very Mm. strong karmic exchange and very violent and very damaging. It will be damaging to whoever you take it from now. It will be damaging to you whenever the time comes to pay it back. So taking things and assuming that you have the right to take them, that is a big karma that you eventually are going to regret.
0: I think that's why there is a beautiful statement in your book where you mentioned maybe not getting what you really, really wanted is could be the best thing that could happen to you. I think that's exactly where it is.
1: There's a, there was a famous Christian saint um, in Spain, Saint Teresa of Avila. Mm -hmm. And she said, more tears have been shed over answered prayers than over unanswered Mm -hmm. prayers. Mm -hmm. So once you, you desire something and you get it, and then you realize What was I thinking? (laughs) Why did I want that in the first place? And now Mm. I have it and what am I going to do with it now? So honestly, the best thing is to desire that God organize everything for you, God or the goddess or whoever you have faith in and let that come your way. You do Mm. the work that you need to do in the world and for everything else, You rely on the universe, have faith, have Vishwas, have Shraddha, and automatically what you require will come your way.
0: That's fantastic. And today, looking at the way, you know, we are creating a lot of bloodshed and karma, there's just one last thing that I would like to ask you is, how do we use this wisdom of karma when it comes to forgiveness, because I'm sure, you know, somewhere or the other, we get hurt by others, or we are also hurting others. So forgiveness is something that we have to do to others. And also we need to be forgiven. So in such situations, how can we use the concept of uh, the law of karma in when it comes to forgiveness? So I think that's one element that is also saying, healing is never possible till you cannot forgive and forgiveness. Some people say I cannot forgive, it's very difficult for me. And how can we approach that?
1: I think the first, and this is such an important question, Dr. Saib. Thank you for asking it. I think the most important thing that people need to remember, first understand and then remember, is that you don't forgive someone else for their benefit. Hmm. You forgive someone for your own benefit. Because while you're holding on to that thing, oh, this person hurt me so badly, you're holding on to that wound. You're holding on to that trauma. And as long as you hold on to the trauma, that trauma can afflict you. Mm -hmm. But when you let go of the trauma, yes, it happened. We don't deny it. Yes, it was wrong. Absolutely, we agree with you. But that is now in the past. It is not happening today. Now, you learn from the past. You don't ever forget. So if somebody has stolen something from me in the past, I will lock up the house to make sure that person cannot come in. But if I spend my entire life thinking about, huh, that person stole something from me, then I am tying myself down to a previous karma and I am creating new karmas at the same time. And I am connecting myself even more to that person. Why would I want to do that? What I want to do is let that person go out of my life. I don't want to deal with that person anymore. Let them have whatever life they have better or worse. I don't care, but that person i I'm not interested in keeping that person in my life. And the best way to get rid of that is to forgive them and say, yes. And and it's very important for people to remember. And, And it's hard for many people to accept this. And sometimes it sounds like we're blaming the victim. But the reality is that anything that comes to you bad or good, is your karma. And it may come through any person, but that person is just a bahana, a vahana. That person is just the method by which that karma is coming to you. And why is it happening through that person? Because you had a bandana with that person. But that person is not creating, now, that person may be creating new karmas for himself by thinking, "I am going to steal from this person." That's a new karma. And if you if you are thinking, "Ha, he stole from me," that's a new karma. Now you are maintaining that connection. If instead that person steals from you and you think, "Huh, I tried to prevent him from stealing from me, but I failed." because he used this new method, very clever. You stole from me, great, good luck to you. Enjoy your karmas, I don't want to have anything to do with you in the future. I am not sending you hatred, I'm not sending you, not black magic, I'm not doing anything because those are all karmas. I am letting you go because I don't want you in my life anymore. I only want good people in my life, so there will be satsanga. So, forgiveness is to benefit you. And I always like to remind people that the word for immunity, that at least in Western India we use, is vyadi, vyadi means disease, Chamatwa. And chamatva literally means forgiveness. So we acknowledge, yes, in my body, there is this disease. It has come about because of my karmas. Now, I, I am not angry with the disease. What I would like, however, is for the disease to disappear so that I can create, I can perform rasayana and I can make my organism work even better than before. I thank the disease for showing me this valuable lesson, but now I am going to do what I know is the right thing to do, to let go of the disease so that I can move forward in life. And the forgiveness of the disease, forgiveness of those who have injured you, forgiveness of everything. Is such a valuable way to help lighten your load of karmas.
0: I I thought the word shamatha means uh, it is tolerance, but then actually yes, it's also forgiveness. That's so rightly it, it appropriate. It is tolerance,
1: but yes. I like to I like to yes, extend yes. it a little further to make it you know. Yeah. tolerance is like the first step in forgiveness. Yes,
0: that's so true. And I think, uh, and also you do the forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for you. It's like, there is a statement, don't kill the messenger just because you don't like the message. Actually, that messenger came to give you that important message. Get that message and work on it. Don't kill the that, waste your time in killing the message.
1: That message came because of your own karmas. And mm-hmm. so acknowledge that they are your karmas and move ahead from there.
0: And all the great destruction started happening when people stopped listening to their feedback, to their messages. They kept killing the messages.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Subodachi.
1: Uh, Dr. Vignesci. It,
0: it was such a pleasure, full of wisdom. And like in Charaka Samhita, there is a quote in the end, Vidya Tarpanam. One of the best ways of nourishment is from Vidya. And yes, that's what we got right now. And uh, all the people who are listening right now, at one point of time, you know, we used to travel to listen to great masters and gurus. Today, we have the luxury to have it on our screen. And please do listen to drsoboda.teachable.com. You could access his teachings. And he also has his podcast called Living with Reality and a fantastic website, drsoboda.com. Please do listen to him and all his books. I'll be putting all the details in the show notes where you can listen to it and access to it. Thank you, Subodhaji. And when you come to India, please do visit Sitaram Beach Retreat. It will be an honor for me to have you as a guest for us.
1: Thank you. God willing, I will will come and do that one of these days. And thank you very much for inviting me for this 100th podcast. And may I wish you all the best for your next 100 podcasts. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond. If you loved and enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, share and review us. This helps to spread our mission of guiding humanity to becoming their healthiest self and also giving the right resources for holistic healing. If you wish to know more about my work, please do visit www.vigneshdevraj.com and if you are interested in doing an Ayurveda treatment or authentic Panchakarma therapy, please log on to www sitaramretreat.com